Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Everybody, it's good to see y'all here this morning worshiping. Everybody needs a dream. And one of the great problems of our time is I meet so many people, young people in particular, who don't seem to have any sense of what their dream is for their life. You ask them, you know, what do you hope to be in your life? And so many of them are going to say, I want to be an Instagram influencer. And I'm like, isn't that like saying, I want to be famous for nothing? I mean, I don't even know how that works. Uh, Apparently, there are some people who have the ability to get lots of people to follow them for no apparent reason. And if enough people follow you, they pay you a whole lot of money So you basically don't have any real skill set other than getting people to follow you and then they pay you a whole bunch of money. That sounds like an awesome gig if you can get it, but it does seem to me that fame by its very nature is somewhat exclusive, right? If everybody was famous, it it would stand to reason, wouldn't it, that everybody can't do that because then nobody would be famous if everybody was famous. I don't know exactly how that works, but I can say this. You need a dream, and your dream is probably not going to be an Instagram influencer. I hate to start out with a real downbeat here. But your dream needs to be substantial, and it needs to be God-centered. And so we need to ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What, What plan and purpose do you have for my life? That is the fundamental question of life. And that governs everything else. You've got to have a dream because without a dream, you drift. The dream is somewhat like a rudder on the ship, you know, and throughout your life, you're moving toward this destination, but without any sense of where your destination is, you're just going to blow around and drift by the tide. So you need a dream. And let me say this about the dream. You're never too old to dream. Uh, I love what the Bible said in Acts 2.17, it said, Your young men will see visions and your old men, and I would assume by that your old women too, will dream dreams. Sometimes the older we get, the harder it is to continue to dream. I've got to tell you that one of the struggles that I sometimes run into is I don't feel as passionate about the things that I was passionate about younger, and my interests are changing, and those things that used to really interest me don't interest me as much. And so I find myself right where you are. God, give me a fresh dream. Give me a fresh sense of calling, of what you want me to do. We were talking among the staff, and I was like, where are people today? It's so hard to kind of braille the culture and find out where they are. And it seems to me that this is at the core, that people don't have a sense of personal identity and personal calling. You're never too old for that. Let me say this too. Your dream might not be your occupation. We're going to study Abraham this morning, but his dream was not his occupation. His occupation was a shepherd. But his dream had nothing to do with that. His dream was much different and a much higher calling than that. And your dream may change over time. As you grow and mature and develop, uh, your dream evolves and changes. And so I want to start a series this morning called Following God. And it's basically the idea of what does it feel like, what does it look like for me to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? And how do I follow God? How do I determine His plan for my life? How do I pursue His purposes for my life? And I've got to say, it all starts with a dream. And the great dreamer of the Bible is Abraham. So let's get our Bibles out and let's go to Genesis chapter 11 and let's look at the story of Abraham. 
There's probably not a more influential character in the history of Western culture than Abraham. Because we all kind of go back to him. He was not only the father of, of the nation of Israel, he was through his lineage the deliverer of the Messiah whom we worship today. And Abraham was a game changer. He changed everything about our world. Now, Genesis 11 begins the story, and I think it's interesting too, when you ask most people, what's Genesis about? They'll say, well, it's about creation. It's about the flood. It's about that stuff. But Genesis is a book of 50 chapters, and starting in chapter 11 all the way through the end of the book, from that point on, it's about Abraham and his family. In fact, you could argue that for the rest of the Old Testament, it's about Abraham and his family. And so here we go. We start out, Abraham is with his father, his three brothers, and he's got a nephew, and uh, they're living in uh, the southeast corner of what uh, uh, scientists call the Fertile Crescent. Now, the Fertile Crescent is aptly named. It was a Fertile Crescent that started at the, at the tip of the Persian Gulf, and it went up and across and down through the Levant, which is Palestine and Israel today, and then it would curve over and go down to the upper part of the Nile River. Now, uh, Abraham, as his story starts out, the year's about 2000 to 1900 B.C. It's a long time ago, about 300 years after the pyramids, but 600 years before King Tut laid down in the tomb. Long time ago. And they're down in the southeast corner of the Fertile Crescent, and God gives Abraham a dream. And the dream really includes two things. You're going to have a place, and you're going to have a legacy. It's a dream of land and legacy. And he calls him to that dream while he's still living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, so Genesis 27, uh, 11, 27 says, Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah is Abraham's dad. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And so that's Abraham's nephew, right? And so while he's still there in Ur of the Chaldeans, he got a dream. The first question that comes up then is, why Abraham? Of all the people in all the world, why Abraham? And here's the first insight I want to deliver to you. Cultivate a dreamer's heart. If you want a dream, you need to cultivate a dreamer's heart. Why Abraham? Of everybody that could have been chosen, why did God choose Abraham? Was it because God is sovereign? I hear people say that. God's sovereign. He can pick whomever He wills. And He certainly is, and I couldn't argue with that. God can choose whomever He wills to do whatever He wants. I have no argument with the sovereignty of God. But we need to remember, while God is sovereign, He's not capricious. And His omniscience, that is His all-knowing, guides His omnipotence, His all-power. And so at the same time, while he chooses and has the freedom to choose whomever he wills, the very nature of the fact that he chooses someone makes them the right choice. But God in his omniscience knows that he's going to choose the right person. So it works like this. The choice is right because God made it, but God made it because it was the right choice. So Abraham was the right guy. So then we ask the question, what was it about Abraham? What was the criteria? Let's go over to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7. You're the Lord God who chose Abram. Okay, his name was Abram initially. God changed it to Abraham, okay? So for preaching purposes, communication purposes, let's just stick with Abraham. So I'm going to use Abraham. Know that I'm talking about Abram at this time. Who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. Now here's the key, verse 8. You found his heart faithful before you. There it is. 
God is always looking at the heart. It's always about the heart. You know, and, and when he's looking for someone to drop a big dream on, he's really looking for a heart. There's this beautiful verse that says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth to strongly support the one whose heart is fully his. That's what he's looking for. When Samuel went to uh, anoint the next king of Israel, he went into Jesse's home and Jesse trots out his sons before Samuel. And the first one, man, is he's impressive. You know, his, uh, Jesse's first boy is big and tall and good looking. He, I'm sure he was an Instagram influencer. And, and Samuel's ready to anoint him. And God whispers into his ear, he's not the one. Stop looking at outward appearances. I don't judge like people judge. I don't look at outward appearances. I look for the heart. And so if we are to be people who are given a dream, we have to cultivate the dreamer's heart. Here's what a lot of people don't know about Abraham. In his lifetime, he was one of the only people, maybe the only person in the entire world who was at that moment worshiping the one true God. The rest of his world, every other religion of his time, was polytheistic. That means that they worshiped a lot of different gods. Even his daddy Terah and his brothers worshiped various gods. Abraham was alone in this. Now, now you, you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, in theology, if you compared theology to technology, Abraham's worship of a one true God is as revolutionary as electricity or the light bulb or powered flight. It just wasn't happening anywhere else in his world. He didn't invent monotheism, but it was virtually non-existent. In India at the time, they had the idea that the Brahmin is the supreme deity. And, and yet that's not monotheism because in the Hindu pantheon, there are hundreds and thousands of gods. What they said was, Brahman is the main God. He's the supreme God. That's not monotheism. That's monolatrism. It's one God over the many. Same thing in the Shang dynasty of China. There emerged a veneration of Shangdi. But again, it was the supreme God over many. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but monotheism happened for a very brief time in the, in the kingdom of Egypt. The pharaoh at the time was named Akhenaten, and his wife was Nefertiti. Those happened to be the parents of King Tut, the only pharaoh we really know about. But Akhenaten and Nefertiti rejected the polytheism of the multiple gods of Egypt and instead worshipped what they called the solar disk or the sun god, Aten. And they moved the capital from Thebes to Ar Armana, for Karn the priests of Karnak to Armana developed his own priestly system, and it became monotheistic. In fact, it became so uh, scandalous that uh, they died surreptitiously uh, and uh, under a cloud, and their young boy was thrown into the pharaoh before he was really ready, and he died early too. I you may not know this, but Tut... tut Tutankhamun's name was originally Tutankhaten, named after the worship of the one sun god. But that was stamped out by the priests of Karnak, and we didn't hear about Tut again until they cracked open his tomb. But all of that, all of that monotheism of Egypt was 600 years after Abraham. 
And so he was alone in his time. And you cannot overstate the significance of Abraham's heart and of Abraham's faith. And so God saw his heart and God said, I'm going to drop a big dream on that heart. And I think God wants to drop a big dream on your heart, but you have to make sure your heart belongs to him. It starts with a heart that belongs to him. He wants to do great things through you. It's not about your talent. It's about your heart. And so he wants to strongly support the one whose heart is fully his. So have a dreamer's heart. Second, be careful with the dream. Dreams don't happen overnight. Take your time. Don't be so quick to say, God told me this or God told... You know, I grow weary of that. God gets blamed for so much stuff. God told me I need to leave my family, marry this other woman. God told me I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, you know. And God gets blamed for a lot of junk. Now, listen to this verse. Um, it... it uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now look at this. Underline this part. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. I love what Henry Blackaby says. He says, don't just do something, stand there. And when it comes to a dream, we need to draw near and listen. And we don't need to say, okay, God, I made my plans. Here's my plans. Bless my plans. That's not how it works. We discover where God's at work, and God invites us to join him in that. And so the question isn't what I want to do. It's, God, what do you want to do with me? And how do you want my life to take shape? How do you want it to form? Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Pray it out. Seek wise people. Ask yourself how you're designed. Know yourself. You know, I hear people say a lot, and this is true. Um, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Have you heard that? He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And that's true. You don't have to know everything there is about it before you have a dream. That's, that's true. But there's another side of that, and that is you need to know yourself because I'm not qualified to do everything. So here's one. God designs us for the task he assigns us. God designed you for the task he assigns you. Uh, I don't know if you were watching it, but I was. I had the TV on in the in the preamble to the Super Bowl this year, and they were interviewing all of these halftime performers, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and some others. I didn't even know who all they were. I don't, that's not my genre of music. Super talented people, just not my genre. And Dr. Dre, who I think is a billionaire, I know he made a lot of money with beats, um, but he's also incredibly talented and has had a, a real influence over the music industry. Don't listen to his stuff much, but that's what I understand. And he was talking to somebody, and he was saying, essentially, um, you know, you kids out there, you just need to follow your dream. That's what he was saying. I don't know about you, but I get kind of tired of hearing that from one-off celebrities. I mean, this guy is at like the pinnacle of the music industry. He's like one in a hundred million, three hundred million. 
And he's basically saying to all these young people out there, hey, look, you can be like me if you'll just follow your dreams. Well, he doesn't talk about the fact that he's incredibly talented. He's put together an amazing team. He's been promoted. He's had some breaks that other people didn't get. And along the way, one thing fell into another and an amazing life story occurred that everybody knows about that is so rare that it's almost never happens. And and yet he says to all of these people, hey, all you got to do is believe it hard enough and dream it and it'll be yours. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. First thing you need to ask yourself is, can I sing? You know, I mean, can I really sing? Maybe you don't need to ask yourself that question because everybody's convinced of two things, right? Everybody's convinced that they're good drivers and that they're good singers. And we all think we sound great in the shower. So you need to get some feedback on that. And don't ask your mother. She thinks you can sing too. But the truth is, most people, the vast majority of people, can't sing. You think you can sing, you can't sing. And you're not going to be Dr. Dre, because he can sing, and he can write songs. That's a whole other part of it. So you got to ask yourself, how did God make me? What, how did he design me? Because he's going to design me for the task he assigns me. And so I've got to ask myself, God, why would you put this on my heart? How did you make me? I need some feedback here. What do others think? How are they impressed? And some of you guys are incredibly gifted at, at remembering details and facts and, and manipulating numbers and doing those things. And that kind of giftedness doesn't necessarily lend itself to a Dr. Dre lifestyle. And yet it lends itself to the purpose of God quite well. We're not all designed the same way, so know how you're made. Ask yourself and be be careful with the dream. Don't pick up somebody else's dream. Let God give you your dream. And then be patient with the dream. Abraham got his dream while he was still living in Ur of the Chaldees. I mean, this text doesn't really seem to imply that. I mean, if you look at uh, Genesis 11 down through 12, 3, it really seems to imply that he got the dream when they were in Haran, uh, especially in 12, 1 and following, and that's the impression. But Acts chapter 7, verse 2 says that God gave Abraham the dream while he was still in Ur of the Chaldees. Um, Stephen was about to be stoned, uh, the first martyr of the church, and before the Jews killed him, he uh, gave this long historical narrative of the salvation history of God, starting all the way back. And in that, uh, Acts 7, verse 2, here's what it says. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, look at this, when he was in Mesopotamia. That word Mesopotamia means between the rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, there in Ur of the Chaldees, before he lived in Haran. <clears throat> and he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. 
So God's plan for Abraham was for him to leave Ur, go to Canaan, establish a people from his family group. That was his dream. And he gave that dream to him while he was in Ur. What happened next? Do you know? You want to know? Nothing. Nothing happened next. A, a lot of nothing. Abraham lived in Ur with his dad and his brothers, and he lived in Ur with his dad and his brothers, and he stayed in Ur with dad and his brothers. In fact, it wasn't until tragedy struck that family that they finally started to move. One of the boys dies, Genesis eleven twenty eight. 28. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, some translations read, while his father was still alive, but that's not really what it says. If you look at the Hebrew, the word in, uh, in the presence of his father, that word in is the Hebrew word al, and it doesn't mean in the presence of so much. It means over and above, in front of, or before, right in front of, immediately before. And it wasn't during, um, that, that word for presence doesn't mean lifetime, it means the front part of the head. In other words, Heron died right in front of his daddy. And the impression that I get is that his daddy was holding him, looking into his face when he died. Now that is so unnatural. And I get why they translated during his father's lifetime, because it's unnatural for a father to bury a son. I get that. But in this particular case, it's more than that. He's literally daddy's like right in his face while this boy is dying. Why did he die? Was there an accident? Was there a general persecution? Was this some sort of community vendetta uh, against Abraham's people? We don't really know. Well, all we do know is that this seems to be the impetus for the family moving. I'm reading uh, Mishner's book, Hawaii. Um, and he makes this interesting assertion. He said, you know, we often think of explorers and adventurers as these people who have these wonderful dreams and then they have the courage to set out and accomplish their dream. But Mishner said that's seldom the case. Almost always when people left their homes, they left their homes because of a crisis. He said this, no man leaves where he is and seeks a distant place unless he is in some respect a failure. And I thought about that because I, you know, there's truth in that. I mean, Christopher Columbus, you know, he wasn't a failure. I mean, but he wasn't leaving his home either. He was seeking a new route to India. But the pilgrims, they were persecuted in England. They went to Amsterdam and to, and to Leiden, and they were uh, miserable and suffering, and they made that desperate decision to come to America. The people who crossed the Great Plains to get to California were desperate for something better. People move in hopes of finding something better. And, and what that tells me through this is that sometimes God will allow a crisis in our lives to get us moving. And I'm not saying it's a good thing that Heron died. I'm not saying that at all. But God even uses those hurts to, to move us out of our comfort zone and to get us moving in a new direction. And they started moving to Canaan. Look at verse 29. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. That's Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, was Iskar. Um, verse 30, Sarah was barren. That's a whole nother tragedy. 
She had no child. But look at verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now look at this, and this is the part to underline circle. In order to enter the land of Canaan. Their destination when they left Ur was Canaan. So they're going to follow the Fertile Crescent up and around, and they're going to land in Canaan. Why Canaan? Because daddy's finally listening to Abraham. Abraham has said for years, daddy, I've got a dream. God has given me this dream. Now remember, Terah didn't worship Abraham's God. Terah uh, Terah was a polytheist. He had the gods of the people around him. And so he won't listen to Abraham. Now finally, Haran dies and it's time to pack up. Where are we going to go? We're going to go to Canaan, right? But they didn't go to Canaan. They stopped in Haran. Look at verse 31. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Haran is about halfway up the ark. It's about halfway around the curve. And they stopped and settled in Haran. Why'd they do that? I don't know. Maybe they were tired. You know, sometimes when I'm traveling, I'm just tired. It's like, let's just stop. Uh, Maybe they got a good price on a condo. I don't know. Maybe land was cheap in Heron. I suspect it was because Heron was the old home place. You know, one of Tara's kids was named Heron. And sometimes they would name a place name after a family name, and sometimes they would name a family name after a place name. We do that a lot in Texas, right? Texans sometimes name their kids after place names. You got Dallas and Houston and Tyler and Austin. You know, you get, we don't do that so much in Louisiana. I haven't run into a Shreveport. Uh, nobody says, how's little Baton Rouge doing? Oh, that's a cute little New Orleans. Now, there are some people named Monroe and I guess a few named Alexandria. I don't know if they were named after the town or not. I had a friend whose middle name was Lafayette. Uh, So yeah, maybe, I don't know. But I do think that probably there's a tie there because when Abraham wanted to get a a wife for his son Isaac years later, he sent him back to the home place, which was up by Haran. And when Jacob needed a wife, he went back to Haran. So that seems to be where tribe of Terah, tribe of Abraham lived. And now Abraham's stuck in Haran. He's still not where. Why didn't he keep going? We just didn't do that in those days because your obligation was to the family. It was an agrarian society. You worked the farm, you worked the ranch, you worked together, and it was the responsibility of the kids to take care of their parents all the way to death. And so Abraham's still with his daddy, and he's doing that. Now look, you don't sacrifice your family for the dream. Family's part of the dream. They go with you on the dream. And the whole time Abraham, even was sitting in Haran, the dream was in play. He never stopped having that dream. You just have to be patient with the timing of it. And you don't sacrifice living to chase a dream. A lot of people want to put off living. It's like, well, when my dream finally happens, when my dream finally comes true, then I'm going to start living. Your life is the activity you experience as you follow the dream. So in essence, whether the dream is realized or not, you're living the dream. Years ago, I, uh, while I was in college, I was working my way through college. I had a, son, I had a job at uh, Sears and Roebuck. I was a tire and battery guy, put in batteries and tires. And there was a guy that worked there named Ralph. And Ralph would come in every day. Ralph wasn't one of the college guys, just part-time. And it, this was Ralph's job. Ralph was never really, really happy. And he'd walk in. i go, hey, Ralph, how's it going today, man? He'd go, you know, man, living the dream, living the dream. And of course, he was being sarcastic. But you know, in Christ... When I'm pursuing the dream, whether the dream is realized or not, the process of living in the journey, I am living the dream every day. It's a part of it. 
And even when I'm not seeing the dream, I'm still living it because my journey toward the dream is part of the dream. So you don't have to rush it. And you don't have to put off life until it happens. And you don't have to sacrifice your family to make it work. Abraham's dream came in two parts. God gave him a dream of the land. You know how old he was when he finally got to the land? 75. His second part of the dream was legacy. He wanted to have a child. He had a problem. Sarah was barren, verse 30. You know how old he was when he finally had a child? A hundred. That is the most terrifying verse in all of the Bible to me. Can you imagine having a baby at a hundred? And yet that was Abraham's blessing. He had to wait till he was 75 to get to the land. He had to wait till he was a hundred to get to that. Man. And here's what I realized. Maybe you aren't ready for the dream. And the process of the journey is to prepare you for the dream. But also, maybe the dream isn't ready for you. Sometimes the dream has to be ready for you. And so it's a double thing. So what do you do? You pursue the dream. Let me say this. It's only a dream until you move. We're going to talk more about that next time. But In verse 32, it says that Terah died. So Abraham was free of the obligation. Now, chapter 12, verse 1, God reiterates the dream. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you, curse the one who curses you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And here's the key to it all, verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. That's the key. Man, when you get that dream, you patiently wait on that dream. But when the dream opportunity arises, you pursue that dream. I know you can fill your head with what if. What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What if? And you can get paralyzed by the what ifs. You know, faith is believing in advance would only make sense in reverse. You would never do anything without some faith. you got to be willing to pursue the dream. Put all those other questions behind you and say, God, if you're for me, then what can stand against me? I'm going to do what you call me to do. If we fail, we fail. What if we miss it? Uh, so what? You'll find it. You have no idea where the dream's going to take you. Remember last time I was talking about listening to the Spirit and Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes, so is everyone who's, who's, who's of the Spirit. Man, that's how we live. That's how we work. That's how we walk. God's not going to drop the whole plan in front of you all at once. You have to be obedient. Someone said this, dreamers don't always know where they're going, only that they're going in the right direction. I love that. So don't try to always have it all figured out. Walk by faith, trust His goodness, pursue the dream. It's going to bless you. Can I ask you, do you have a dream? What's God want to do with you? Man, cultivate a dreamer's heart. He's looking for a heart He wants to drop a big dream on. Have the kind of heart that God wants to drop a big dream on. Be careful with it. Man, don't buy into somebody else's dream. Be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. But in the process of walking toward the dream, 
We live the dream. And man, never stop pursuing it. Do you have a dream? What's your dream? Well, let's pray right now. And I just want to ask God to drop a dream on you. Father, we're here right now before you and there are many people who have no idea what they're going to do with their life. They have no idea. I pray that you would give them a big dream. And I pray it would be a dream that's tailor-made for them because you've tailor-made them for your purpose. Give them patience as they pursue the dream. But Father, that they would pursue the dream so that God, you would use us and we look back over the course of our life and we say, my life made a difference. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.